Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Go ahead and get your Bibles open to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. Uh, The... The information is up on the screen on that biblical passage. Today I'm beginning a brand new mini-series on the topic of relationships. Uh, The the, the challenge of this series, I'm just going to go for three weeks, is to manage your relationships well and take care of one another responsibly. What does the Bible have to say about all that? Because keep in mind, we're children of God. And we're made in the image of God. So as a result of that, people are God's prized possession. So so if people are God's prized possession, people and relationships should be our priority as well. In fact, if you break down the Ten Commandments into two groups, you'll notice that the first four of the Ten Commandments are about relationship with God. The last six of the Ten Commandments are about relationships horizontally with other people people, human relationships. So God cares about people, and we absolutely must do the same. So this series is entitled, The People in Our Lives. We're going to be hitting three different categories. One is marriage, another is family, another one is friendship. And, and, and everybody deals with relational struggles. I mean, that's, that's real. And, and I believe that it's because hell attacks our relationships. I mean, it started way, way back with Adam, I mean, with, with Cain and Abel. Hell attacked a relationship. And if the enemy can get us to be at odds with one another, what happens is unity breaks up. And as believers, I mean, it can be even more devastating because uh, other people may even turn away from God as a result of seeing that happen or even experiencing that happen. Uh, emotional devastation, uh, relational destruction. And, and, and so today, uh, and really for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking about how to deal with this and, and from various passages in the scripture. But the title of my sermon today is one word. These are all going to be one word uh, sermons. It is marriage. Marriage. The, the church right now, we are faced with a culture uh, that, that's absolutely in opposition to God's word. In fact, even politically, some people are now calling Christian believers, people who believe the Bible as extremists and radicals, and that's the culture we live in. This is not a family building culture anymore because our culture glorifies and our culture encourages gender twisting and homosexuality and adultery. And American culture, it's a culture where people can get easy and quick and frequent divorce, uh, sexual freedoms with little or no respect for God. And, and our culture, it, it just refuses to accept the Bible as absolute truth. And, and, uh, and our culture a couple of generations back did, but things have shifted dramatically. But here we are, we're in this culture and we're going to have to deal with it and we're going to have to deal with it positively. And I want to say proactively, don't wait for the relationship problem, begin to work on the, on the situations now. But, but really in our culture, this is a perilous time for marriages overall. And, and as a result, I want to say it takes strategy and it takes God. And we are really in a fight for our marriages. At the same time, I want to say this, there is hope. 
there is always hope. So what we do here at City Life is we, first of all, we provide an atmosphere of healing for people who have experienced a failed marriage, uh, helping you to forgive and rediscover joy and new vision and, and hope for your life and to experience God's abundant mercy. I believe in that. We practice that. But we also work to create an atmosphere of encouragement and support for married couples who, uh, who, are, who are growing together and also for co- couples who are considering marriage and also provide plenty of coaching there as well. But one of the most, ex- most important things that I can do today, because I thought, how am I going to take this? What angle am I going to take it? And, and, and I think it's most important if we look at it this way. We need to have clear expectations for marriage. And we need that from the beginning. And, and sometimes when, after you're already married, maybe you didn't have those clear expectations. But now I want you to begin to see these expectations for what marriage looks like. And, and for those of you who have yet to be married, I want you to be able to, to take what I'm sharing today. And this gives you a healthy foundation for your marriage. So again, today I'm going to be dealing directly with issues of marriage, which will be a, a benefit to married couples. I'm also going to be sharing information that will be of huge value to anyone who desires to be married and, uh, and also encouragement for those who have been through a divorce. So, so to begin with, I want to address what might seem to be a very simple question, but in reality, it's incorrectly answered quite often in our culture today, and it's, it's a three-word question. What is marriage? I mean, w- And if we're going to answer this question, we have to answer it from the context of the scriptures, the Bible, because a lot of people will erroneously say, well, I've heard this before. Well, marriage is basically the equivalent of sex in God's eyes. If you have sex with a person, you're married to him. So let's, let's have sex and be married in God's eyes. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've heard that. And uh, sometimes I, you know, finally I just start saying, well, will you show me that scripture? I, uh, I'd, I'd like to see that because it doesn't exist. That's not there. Uh, other people will say, well, marriage is an agreed upon contract between two people. And both of those are so far from the truth. See, marriage is this. Marriage is a covenant of love. It's between God, a man, and a woman. And that's how a marriage works best. It's actually a three-way covenant. I'm going to explain how this works in a minute, but it's a covenant of total commitment. This means that both the man and the woman are willing to lay down their lives for each other so that each partner can live out a new life through the other partner. Now, now covenant is the key word. And that might not be a word that you're super familiar with. Like, well, it sounds like a Bible word. And, and it is, but it's also a word in our culture as well. But I want to give you the definition of covenant. And I'll go through this slowly to make sure that you can get it. And if you need to take a picture of it as well, take a look at this. Here's the definition of covenant. It's my definition. It is an agreement between two or more parties who are committed to guaranteeing their relationship will be preserved based upon the integrity of their word and their action. And even when I perform a wedding ceremony, the, the, uh, the elements of covenant are all built into that ceremony. It's important. So looking at this, 
Marriage is not a contract because a contract and a covenant are two very different things. A covenant means this. If somebody else drops the ball, if they mess up, if the other party in the covenant uh, messes something up, well, you don't drop that other person. You don't abandon that, abandon that other per- person. And for example, the scriptures uh, put it this way, is that God doesn't write you off when you sin. He's not going to abandon you. He's going to love you in spite of what you did. And Although at the same time, he's not going to tolerate it. So that's the illustration of it. And there there are plenty of places in the Bible that we can go to to search for wisdom on how to build strong marriages. Uh, And and the the Apostle Paul's writings in Ephesians chapter 5, I believe, is a really great place to start. And it explains a lot about the marriage covenant. So since I'm focusing, I'm teaching one day on marriage, I'm going to focus on this passage in Ephesians 5.22. So let's take a look at it, and in this passage, you're going to see the elements of the three-way covenant. All right, follow along with me, reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. It says, wives, subject yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord, for the woman is the head of the, the wife, and Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Now, I'll, I'll stop right there. I believe that that particular portion of the scripture has been t- removed from its context far too often to, to preach a, uh, and, and to push and to promote a message of, of, of allowing a woman to be under some type of a heavy-handed authoritarian husband, and that's not what this is at all. That's not what this is. Because anyone who teaches that, anyone who reads this part really needs to read the rest of the passage, okay? So, so let's keep on reading. It says, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, he, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And you're saying, wait, wait, what does this have to do with marriage? Everything, everything. It says, so, in other words, therefore, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves His wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does for the church, because we're parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So there's a lot crammed into that passage. It's it's basically saying this, is that the earthly marriage, in many ways, it is an object lesson of how God loves the church. God being in the, the masculine form, and the church being 
feminine. Now, I know if you're a man and you're in the church, you say, I don't, like, I don't get that. Well, well, the church is represented, represented as feminine. The God is represented as masculine. So in the gospel story, God loves you. God gave up everything. He gave his life for you. He desires deep and intimate relationship with you. He's preparing a place for you. He is your protector. He is your defender. And he cares about every little detail in your life. In other words, that's how men ought to be toward their wives. You got that? And when we become Christians, what happens is our lives change. We begin to serve God, knowing that he is always going to be there with us. And, it's, and we have this desire to spend eternity with him, and we love God. Like the scripture I just read, the, the church loves God. And the, the wife is to love her husband in the same way as the church loves God. That's beautiful when you really begin to think about it. So husbands need to live in such a way that their marriage emulates how Jesus loves us, sacrifices for us, and is generous toward us, and protects and and gives us deep abiding care. Wives should live in marriage in the same way where they honor their husbands. So in other words, when people see your marriage they should see an illustration of how the God and human relationship works. But of course, we live in a sinful world. (laughs) And there is no marriage that perfectly emulates this. Although, let me be clear, it must be our goal. Now, men, you, you need to notice this. That passage that I read, the first three verses are written to women, while the, the rest of the, the, uh, the final verses of the 12 is a passage that's written to men. So men, we do have huge responsibility in creating healthy marriages. So here's how the marriage covenant works. First of all, uh, it's, it's these principles. I want you to jot these down. Love is the foundation of the marriage covenant. I'm not going to go into every one of these scriptures. Some of these I'm putting up there just for your reference and for you to look up later. But love has to be the foundation of the relationship. And it doesn't just happen overnight. Love takes a lot of time to develop and love needs to be tested. And that, that's why it's foolish to discover someone who makes your heart flutter and you feel all happy and say, oh, I'm in love with this person because that's, that's infatuation and that's attraction. And, and infatuation and attraction, both physical and, and, and emotional, those warm, fuzzy feelings, it is not the same as love. For example, when I went out on my first date with Rebecca, now I'll tell you, on the first date, I saw there was chemistry and we could fall in love very quickly. I even came off that first date, and I told my, my roommate, who's been my best friend for many years, I said, I said I'm going to marry her. And he said, how do you know? You never say anything that crazy. I said, I, I know I'm going to. But so really, what I was saying is after that first date, I knew that I could fall in love with her. But at that point, I simply had warm, fuzzy feelings, infatuation, that we're also connected to some very logical conclusions that we could spend the rest of our lives together. And, uh, and <laughs> I'll just be candid with you. I don't know, she wasn't necessarily expecting this, but our second date when we went out, I just said, hey, uh, let's go out and let's, let's park and let's have a good talk. And so we went and parked the car and had a nice long talk. And I just said, yeah, I, when, when I, if I'm going to date a girl, it's a potential candidate for marriage. And 
If that's not what you want out of this, if you're looking to date some guy and have a good time and, and have someone to hold your hand just to look good and whatever, then let's end this now. I mean, I, I just laid it on the line. I mean, it, it was tough. And she's going, what are you talking Yeah, she thought she was going to get a kiss. She didn't get a kiss that day. So, so this was, that's how we started off. But, but it was, I, I, I still think it was a bit abrupt, but it took several months of good times and tough times for us to fall in love. But we did. So love is the foundation of the marriage covenant. Now, second, love becomes permanent through perseverance. You see, those are permanent and perseverance are big words. And, but that first word, which is the commitment of permanence, it says that you're going to stick with the other person and you're going to stick with them through thick and thin. Uh, the, the permanence of marriage comes about because of perseverance. You have to persevere a lot. And it's not one-sided, it's both. You both have to persevere a lot. Uh, marriages, I'll be honest, marriages don't stay permanent unless you persevere. It's like, well, the other partner isn't doing this. Well, then you need to start and show them how it's done. You work on things and you need to get help, find encouragement, fight battles together and keep trying and stick with your commitment because the attitude of perseverance, it's going to cause you to do something. It's going to cause you to begin to fight for your marriage because the culture we live in is fighting against your marriage. And there are going to be times when, when your own emotions are going to say, I just want to give up on this marriage. I, I can't take this anymore. But you don't go there. See, perseverance is having a strong will that I will not give in to the emotional ups and downs no matter how intense they might be. For example, very early in our marriage, uh, we decided on something. We decided that we would never let the words divorce come off our lips, which is something that I recommend to every young couple about to get married. Make a covenant with yourselves. You will not let your lips say that word. Don't even release that spirit into your home. That's, it, it is, we, we see it as not an option. Now, so again, that, since that's not an option, we're going to have to figure out a way to work through things. So love becomes permanent through perseverance. And that's how marriage will survive. And that's how marriage will ultimately thrive. Also, marriage is a bond of committed love that's not easily broken. Committed love. And it's just, it's not a bond that's broken easily. You know, when, when, I, when I first met Rebecca, um, I had this cool hot rod Mustang and I loved that little car. And I, it was a four speed and I had my V8 in there and I could, I could make it. I, I could pop the clutch in third gear and still make it, make the tire squeal. Now that's good. That, that's, yeah, some of y'all are impressed. Others, you go, what are you talking about? What's a clutch? All right, forget it. But it was red, it was fast, and it was fun to drive. And I took good care of the Stang. And I liked that car. I loved that car. I treated that car really, really well. But my love for the Mustang was not a committed love that, would, uh, that isn't easily broken. I, I, I needed to get an engagement ring for Rebecca, and so I sold my Mustang. And occasionally, I, I still think about that car. I still kind of miss that old car. 
But it was giving me some, listen, it was giving me some trouble anyway, and I was having to make a lot of repairs, so I got rid of her, you see? Now, it's a shame, though, that many married couples use those same lines of reasoning to break marriage covenants. Well, you know, it's rusty, and it's causing me some trouble, and, 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 and it just doesn't work when I need it to work, so let's dump this vehicle, let's dump this marriage. You see, in marriage, we have to take the perspective that the demands and the trials of life are going to, hear me, they are going to help perfect and strengthen the love between marriage partners. That's why marriage partners even need to be in church together. We will grow together. We'll be encouraged together. And finally, to help understand how the marriage covenant works, I have another statement for you. It's a, it's a statement of what I call totality. Get this, marriage is a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with another person for the total of one's life until death. Okay, I want to say it again. Marriage is a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with another person for the total of one's life until death death. So marriage is a relationship of totality. Marriage does not work if there is a halfway commitment going on or if there are a bunch of conditions built in. Uh, that's, a, that's a contract. You know, just, you don't just share a little bit of yourself. You don't just give a portion of yourself. You give your entire life to your spouse. And they give their entire life to you. That's why it says the two become one flesh. You function together in harmony, and it's beautiful. And it takes both partners doing that. That's why at wedding ceremonies, I, oh, I, a lot of couples say, well, I want, we're going to write our vows, and that's a very popular thing. I'm fine with that. But I said, there is one thing I want to let you know. I'm, I'm going to put it in there. You're going to have to repeat these words. I'm going to take you for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, uh, in sickness and in health till death do us part. Y'all, you good with that? And I said, that, that's, that's the covenant right there. And if they say no, then I'm, well, you know, good luck. Find somebody else to, to do your ceremony because really I have had to do that before. Like I'm not willing to make that kind of a commitment. Then you don't need to be married, buddy. You don't. But very few have rejected that. And most people have said, yeah, I, I, I accept that. I, I want that. See, marriage and, you know, the success of your marriage is not contingent upon your emotions six months later or six years later or 26 years into the marriage. The only way the marriage is going to work is for both people to embrace a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with the other person for the total of one's life until death. So you see, Marriage should never be entered into lightly. If you're considering marriage, some of you want to get married, you just don't walk into it lightly and do not get in a rush. Any person who has gone through a divorce in this room would very likely walk right up here and say amen on that. Don't get in a rush. Today's culture, there are these destructive forces uh, and, and they're, they're actually su successfully destroying a lot of marriages, multi multitudes of marriages. And I, I don't think you're exempt just because you're a believer. 
Because the last time I saw statistics on that, the divorce rate in the church and the divorce rate at large in America is about the same. And I'll also say this about divorce. If you're considering divorce, get some counsel. And the counsel is not to go to a divorce attorney. They are going to counsel you to do whatever so they can get their part, you know. They're, they're, they're going to counsel you toward divorce, all right? Because that's, that's how they earn their living. I'm not shaming them. It's, that's what they do. But you need to get some, some, uh, get some counsel. I'll, I'll tell you, divorce is not an easy solution for the conflict you might be going through. It, it's not a simple way out of the relationship because, well, I've found myself a new soulmate. And I, I tell you, divorce doesn't fix everything. There's some study that was done, and it was uh, done with a group of Christian divorced couples. And, and so they were asked to write out their, the effects of their broken marital commitments, and here are some of the remarks that they gave. First of all, they said, it is never over for anyone completely. Again, these are Christian divorced couples. It devastates families and children. It makes people wonder if being a Christian makes any difference. It produces so much pain for the people involved. It does anything but demonstrate God's glory. It breaks up families for generations to come. Children's loyalties are torn between two people they love. And if you've been through a divorce, you would probably say many of those same things are very, very real. Because marriage, again, is a three-way covenant, and divorce doesn't take you back to square one so you can start fresh. It's not the refresh button. And I'm telling you this, first of all, not in any way to bring shame to anyone who has walked through the unfortunate circumstances of divorce, but what I do want to do is I want to reveal the pain of broken marital bonds so that couples will be compelled. I want you to be compelled to resist the temptations that violate your marriage vows. The, the, The extreme high cost of broken commitments in marriage today serves to show us that God has high regard for the marriage covenant and we must as well because God loves us. God loves you and he doesn't want his people to be fractured and to be broken through the, the wreckage and, the, and that's left in the wake of a divorce. In fact, if you're not treating your spouse right, and maybe you're even thinking divorce is the way to go and just let go of that, that spouse, it will affect your spiritual life as well. I mean, God even spoke through the prophet Malachi, and uh, Malachi had to address several issues that were going on at, at the time because people were wondering why they weren't seeing certain breakthroughs in their lives and all this. So what God does is he addresses issues such as tithing. He addresses issues of, of disdain toward when 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 uh, people who are older have disdain toward a younger generation, which we do not stand for at all. Of course, you know, you know we stand for tithing. We do, not, we, we do not beat up a younger generation. We don't rip on the younger generations around here because the Bible tells us we better not because we allow a curse to come on us. That's bad. So Malachi addressed that. He addressed tithing, but he also addressed the mistreatment of spouses and divorce. Here's what he told the people in Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He said, you, you, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and sighing, because he no longer gives attention to the offering or accepts it with favor from your hands. So they're praying, they're crying, they're giving their offerings, they're doing all the right religious things, so to speak, but God doesn't seem to be paying attention to their prayers. Yet you say, for what reason? 
because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously though she is your marriage companion and your wife by covenant. Wow. That doesn't demand a lot of explaining. I don't have to go into a lot of detail on that because when you violate your marriage covenant, you can cry, complain, weep to God about how he's not blessing you for your giving. And what God's saying all along is the problem is you're violating your marriage covenant and that demands repentance. In fact, the scriptures even in other places refer to the very similar things such as if, you, if, if you're t- bringing an offering and you, have, you are harboring anger and hostility and unforgiveness in your heart toward another person, don't give that offering. You, you deal with that first before you give. See, that's how the offerings are blessed. So that what God is saying is this requires repentance and it requires repentance no matter how much that partner has hurt you or no matter how much you've been wronged in the marriage if you're responding that way. See, the covenant works this way. As you pursue God and as you continue to love one another unconditionally, you're going to draw closer and closer to each other. You naturally will. I call this the marriage triangle, and it looks like this. And you can take a picture of that or draw it out on your paper for for yourselves. But I want to explain this and illustrate this to you. You see the husband and the wife. It's a triangle. Husband and wife are are both are at uh, these two points. But as they grow closer to God, as they grow closer to God, you see, they grow closer to one another. And if one is drawing closer to God but the other isn't, still they're staying about the same distance from one another. You see that? But if both are drawing closer and closer to the Lord, that's how it works. So it says on that little slide there, the closer a husband and a wife get to Jesus, the closer they get to each other. That is very simplified, and it, but it's not overly simplistic. It's just something that needs to be done. So finally, I, I want to bring up the issue of unrealistic expectations because marriages quite often break up due to a load of, of a lot of unrealistic expectations. And one of the things that I do when I provide mar- premarital coaching is we walk through those things. We, we talk about expectations. I mean, all the way down to like who's going to pay the bills, who's going to uh, gas up the car, who's going to mow the lawn, all those kinds of things, who's going to do this and this and this and this. And I find out every single couple that I take through premarital coaching, everyone, there's, there's, there's always a list of things they haven't even considered or thought about, about expectations. Well, I come into this marriage expecting this. Well, I'm coming in expecting this. And, and sometimes in the premarital coaching, sparks will fly. And I like, that's okay. Let's get through this now because you don't want to be down the road and you're married and then you're realizing, oh, uh, nobody, well, I thought you were the one who was going to pay the electric bill. Well, you have the better job. You should be paying it. Well, I thought something, you know, those, those types of things. And it can go on and on. But when those expectations are not met, conflict begins to erupt. Uh, husbands and wives, when they're not getting what they expect to receive from each other, or when they do receive something that they don't really expect, uh, you know, that begins to cause problems. And unless these issues are addressed, a marriage is going to slowly erode. 
Again, that's where counseling comes in. Professional counseling is great. And, and do not ever feel bad that you, that like, well, I'm going to have to get some counseling, professional counseling for my marriage. Well, do it. That's something to be happy about. That's something to be proud of. You are taking steps to build a healthier, happier marriage. And, and the truth is, marriage vows, they're typically not broken because of a single incident. What I've seen is they tend to slowly disintegrate over time. That's why there must be constant work. And, you know, again, through my years of ministry, here are some of the comments I've heard from people whose marriages have failed. They say, well, we just grew apart. Or he stifled my intellectual growth. Or she didn't meet my sexual needs. Or I lost respect for him. Or he was more interested in his hobbies than in me. She was always moody and depressed. All we did was ever argue. I'm not sure I ever loved him in the first place. I got married to get out of the house and get away from my parents. Or I was too young to know what I wanted. Those are normal things I hear, and you've probably heard those yourself. Or possibly even some of those excuses are coming up in your mind right now about marriage. Now, I hope you see the reason why we need to build strong marriage relationships up front. And strong marriages are forged. They're forged through the heat and the intensity of constant work and a great deal of God's mercy and God's love. Any commitment takes work. Now, Rebecca and I, we are very blessed, we're very grateful that both of our parents on each side, they have stayed with one another until the other spouse passed away. And we were raised in their homes, and we know that everything wasn't perfect. Everything wasn't just fine. Everything wasn't dandy. But parents worked on things. They loved each other. And they, they gave an example. They showed us the example. But you don't give up on marriage. And I'm grateful for that. I know that most people today do not have, the, have that kind of a heritage. But you can be the one to start that for the next generation. And even if you've experienced divorce, you can instill values within your children and keeping them in church and keeping them in the things of God so that they will start that. It can be started at any point. You see, commitment takes work. Marriage commitment takes work. Yeah. You're not going to make an employment commitment uh, to, to a company and then just start coming in late, leaving early, uh, disrespecting your boss, getting into the gossip circle of everything and drop responsibilities and call in sick so that you can go play golf, you know, and you expect to pay your, uh, to, to keep your job and get your paycheck. No. I mean, you can't say either that, well, I've been working this job for 10 years now, so I'm just going to do what I want to do, and, and I'm still going to be able to keep my job. No, it doesn't work that way. So we understand how that works, don't we? We, we, we get that. So why in the world would we think that something that is a much greater commitment, which is the marriage covenant, doesn't require constant work? Because it does. The beauty of the church is we will stand with you. Church, I want us to realign our thoughts about marriage. 
was to believe in the marriage covenant the way that God established it. I want us to be able to enter into marriage with wisdom and sobriety and counsel. At the same time, I want this church to be a place of healing and restoration for those who have suffered through divorce. I want this place to be a place where marriages are strengthened and they're enhanced. Church, let's be a people who stands with one another through the ups and downs of life, and it begins in our homes. Let's be a people who love God wholeheartedly so that we can love one another. And I think we should humble ourselves. I think we should ask God for huge amounts of his mercy and his grace on our lives and on our marriages and church. If you're not married yet, sir, ma'am, if you're not married yet, pray for his mercy and his blessing upon that future marriage. Parents, you have a responsibility to be praying for your children's spouses right now. Right now. Pray for that future spouse. Start praying them in. Prayer works. If you are looking for a spouse, you're, you're wanting to get married, you need to make a list of the qualities you want to see in that man or in that woman. Make a list of those qualities and begin to pray for that person. Just pray. Pray regularly. Well, I've been praying for a year. Well, pray for two. Well, I've been praying for five years. Well, keep praying. It, that, that person is there. That person is there. And God will allow your paths to cross with them in his timing. Please don't be frustrated with the timing of God. But be encouraged that God is moving the pieces behind the scenes. He always has, and he always will. So as we close today, I'd like for Rebecca to join me on the platform. And, and I, if you're sitting, some of you are, are here alone, but if you're, if you're sitting with your spouse or maybe with a person that you're, that, that you're engaged to or, or whatever, someone that's, a, that's close to you, your soulmate, I mean, I, I encourage you to just touch them and to hold their hand and to pray. And uh, in fact, could someone bring her a microphone? Because I'm going to have her pray as well here in just a second. But we're going to pray for this church. We're going to pray for our lives. We're going to pray for our families. We're going to pray for our marriages and future marriages. So, so just a minute, we'll have you pray, Rebecca. But let's, let's just pray first of all for... I want to pray for unmarried couples. God, I pray, Lord, for couples who have yet to even be discovered, um, for individuals who have yet to even find that, that, uh, that person that they would want to marry. I pray right now that you'll lead them, and that you'll guide them, that you'll go ahead of them, that you'll watch for them. Also pray for couples who are planning to be married. Pray for your blessing to be on them and that you will help them to courageously walk through the, even the challenges and the stresses of engagement and, through the, uh, and, and to receive the counsel that's absolutely necessary to build strong marriages and homes in this generation. God, I also want to pray for divorced individuals, for those who have experienced the divorce. I pray that, that they will rise up as the biggest champions of marriage. And, and they will even share from their own experience uh, how, how marriages can be strengthened and how they can be enhanced and, and even how to process the, the challenges and the pain of divorce. 
Lord, I pray, we also pray for families and pray for homes. I pray that you will build strong homes and families with, uh, with us working with you, God, to, pro- to do the right thing in our homes, to do the right thing in our families, Lord. And that we'll take these principles of covenant marriage and we'll apply them to our lives. Lord, I, I pray for my marriage. I pray for my marriage with Rebecca. I pray for it to be strong and for it to be enhanced. I thank you for this wonderful woman that you gave to me, the love of my life. And uh, I pray that you will help me. And guys, you need to pray this way as well. Help me to be a better husband. Help me to be, um, be there constantly to meet those emotional needs and, and to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Rebecca, will you, will you pray for marriages and homes? Jesus, I just pray a special blessing on, um, on marriages and relationships that are headed towards that and future relationships. Father, we just um, thank you that you've made a way, you've made a, a beautiful love that goes beyond the initial butterflies and the emotions that becomes um, an example of God to his church that just overcomes so much um, doubt and and faithlessness that becomes stronger together it is a beautiful beautiful love and i just speak that over these um, individuals represented and the couples represented and and um, everyone that's listening to this yes in jesus name we thank you God. god that you've given us an example but you've first you've called us yes god you've called us to um to have this love with you with christ And we commit that to you, Father, first. Yes. We commit that. And as we do that as as a single or as a widow or as um, a single mom or dad or married couple, that that becomes an an evident Mm. in our lives, that the love of God is in us. And as we give out and as we stretch that, you pour into us. And it just enhances uh, marriages and homes and families in Jesus' name. Yes, yes, Amen. yes. Would you just take a moment and pray? I just said, take a, just about 30 seconds here and quietly just pray for your own marriage. Maybe your future marriage, or maybe you want to need to pray for the marriage of a family member, someone you love. Just to pray right now. And then pray for yourself be strong for the purposes of marriage covenant. God, we believe that the three-way covenant begins with our commitment to you. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We commit ourselves to the faith. We commit ourselves to serving you and honoring you in every way. And uh, help us as individuals to just simply move closer to you. And as we move closer to you, marriage partners, as they're doing the same, we'll move closer to one another. We thank you for this, God. We thank you for the revelation in your word. We thank you for the truth in your word, and we receive it as 100% truth. So let it be for our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ.
Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Church podcast. I would love for you to attend one of our worship services right here in downtown Fort Worth. So if you'd like more information, simply go to citylifefw.org. God bless.